entertainment and we uh, haven't laughed that hard for a while. It was good. And uh, laughter provokes laughter. And I didn't even finish my story and I was sort of losing it. like forgiveness, progressive forgiveness, and all sorts of things like that. I would like to uh, just give a testimony in regards to the words that were given. When I was 15, not yet saved, uh, still in the Catholic Church, my family was very Catholic, and sitting at St. Mary's Church in the middle west side, about 52 spots would give like 2,000 seats or something like that. I was on the right side, and I was about halfway, you know, I was sort of the dark side. And uh, I knew a lot of people there, and, and the priest said, do you need priests to teach you? Do you need priests to, to come into the priesthood? And I went, wow, yes. But we had some priests in the family, uh, two Uncle Bobs. Uncle Bob and Aunt Sally both were priests, and they both got out of the priesthood married, and they both had two kids. Um, uh, in, in my Uncle Bob on my mother's side, he, he didn't necessarily have a good experience, and he got kicked off of St. Louis and went to a county where now they call it Lincoln, and they had a very close family, there were seven of us in my family, and I don't want to get kicked off at 15. Uh, and on another occasion, I think in that same area, and and a priest had said it at a different time. Only a priest in the priesthood. It wasn't the same year, but it was years apart. And again, it was a hard lesson because I wanted to go to the Saint Mary's in Little Caesars, and uh, let's see, that was when I was 15. Probably when I was in 1995, I was in Temple Media, and I was in the presence of a guy who walked in and out of the supernatural like you and I walk in and out of the supernatural. He was so prominent. And we were in a, a, um, a crusade that had 400,000 people behind the, the powerful one, the most powerful one of all. And because we had come from the United States, um, we had a private audience give, I went abroad. I went back east. <laughs> and he's telling us all these stories, and he comes back to the Boston office, and he says, you know, I've got something for you. And he says, um, and he puts his hands on me. He, he struggled with pain in his legs, so he was sitting down. He said, just, just get on your knees and tell him what, what your hand uh, did. And then he put his hands on me. The whole room went silent. And uh, very powerful presence. And and the thing about the words that I got when I was 15, I never told a single person, never. Because I did not want to be forced to go into the priesthood. And so I never told anybody, never, nobody, even up to like, did I share this with you already? No? Um, in, 
and he gave me a word, and he said, when, when you heard that call, it was meant for you. And, and I knew from the word that he was given, he was talking about when I was 15 and he called the church, and the call that the Lord had given me, it seemed so insignificant at the time. It seemed so not, it seemed like it was from me more than the Lord. And which is kind of why I didn't ever say anything about it. But really, the Lord was confirming me that it was meant for you. Even though you thought it was insignificant, even though you thought it was you doing the calling, it was me calling you. And, and it was such a confirmation, uh, because I had already been on the mission field for years after that, but it was such a confirmation that God does the calling and God does the confirming. And, and uh, I know one of the words that was given today is, God wants to resurrect callings, and maybe you've gotten a calling, and you thought, that's me. I, I thought that. I, you know, God didn't call me, but I want you to know a small, insignificant thing that, you, that I thought, this is me sending this call through. This is, this is me maneuvering the thing was God, and God told me something that I never told anybody ever till years after about that. You may have something in your heart. You think, no, this is just me. I, God would never call me. God would never. Listen, God would, if God had to pick on the basis of quality, he wouldn't pick any of us. <laughs> God picks us on the basis of who he wants and who he, who he chooses to use. And, and I have resigned myself. If God wants to use me in a large way or a small way, that's his business. That's not my business. He can pick anybody he wants to be used mightily or not mightily. And for years I fought with him thinking God would never choose me to do anything significant or powerful, only insignificant and linear. But that was me in the way of God's will. But you see, God has a desire to use you and, and call you into things he has for you. It's why he was saved. Ephesians 2.10, we are God's workmanship created for good works in Christ. Amen? So, so the Lord has a calling for us, and you might think that was just me. Maybe today in this very service you heard something and you're like, just me. I got a feeling that it was just me. And I got a feeling that in a place where the worship is thick and the, and the spirit is flowing, it was just me. I mean, let's face it, many of us would not, in that type of an atmosphere, call ourselves to a whole life. On the contrary, we're trying to be less, and God calls us up bigger, if I can say it that way. So I just want to encourage you that you might have had something that was very subliminal in your heart. But it was a significant word, and it was a word that God specifically gave to you and gave to you, which makes it significant. Amen? And, and uh, can I get a better place to say this? Jesus said to Peter, Peter, Satan 
could have asked he could have anybody but he asked Peter to blunder head of the twelve right and what the devil said Peter is Jesus that guy who's always putting his foot in his mouth that guy who Jesus entrusted to rebuke that guy who who just swore no matter what he will never deny Jesus only to see that word bite him in the side. That's the Satan said, "I will strip you naked." And and you think about it. If Satan wants to strip Jesus, you got to strip what's absolutely in you that wants his attention that he is now focusing on you to say. your brother, that your faith won't die. And and that's what happened. His faith didn't die. And, and I just want to encourage you, and I don't know if that encourages you or not, but basically what I want to say is you're not insignificant. You know, when Jesus was going to be born, there's a verse that says, in you, Bethlehem of Judea, though you think you're the smallest and you're the most insignificant, from the most insignificant, from the smallest comes the greatest. So that gives us insignificant people a lot of courage or encouragement because God can do great things through insignificant people. So let's just roll with it that you're insignificant. How awesome is that of what God wants to do through you? Maybe you think we're just in insignificant Carmel, Maine. How awesome is that of you for something great to come out of there? Does that make sense? I mean, no matter how we slice it, God wants to use us. For God wants to use us for impact, for, for power. And it's just a matter of me getting out of my way. Because usually the biggest person in God's way in my life is me, right? And it's just if I can line up with God, then I will actually see him do the very thing I want him to do more than anything in my life. Use me to take people out. Because, I mean, that's what we want more than anything, right? We want, we daydream about God using us to do mighty things, healing the sick, casting out demons, getting people saved. We daydream about that because it's in our heart to do it. Use us to do mighty things, and God is not beyond using you to do that. That's the mystery, the power, the greatness, and the eternal amazement we will contemplate God with. He could have done anything. If you look at the choices, he chose you. God is not interested a lot of times in what we have to say regarding things to us or regarding even perspectives about ourselves. God desires to, like the word says, resurrect life into what a lot of times we ourselves have become. It's really important. Amen? I just want to share two testimonies with you. 
Amen. I hope I can tie in all that the Lord has been saying here today. Um, last May, last last March, we had an If My People youth event in Salem, Mass. And we had about 90 kids that came and prayed and prayed for their generation and prayed for their country. And we challenged them. And one kid knows it who is actually my brother's grandson. He's 11. And uh, I said, Moses, can you come at the event? And, you know, he was like, yeah, I want to go. And um, But as soon as he found out it was going to be a lot of people, he canceled. And that really scared me. So here's this 11-year-old boy, and his, his family life is not the greatest. And here's this 11-year-old boy lying in his bed at night saying, Dad, I'm a terrible person. You take us home, you know, and all that. And, 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 and God spoke to him. And uh, he, he challenged him, a grown-up man, like, you, you've got a strange calling of evangelism. And, and then God didn't back down from challenging the 11-year-old. And the 11-year-old would not say, Mom, I'm afraid of praying. Can you stand up front with me next to Mom? Or I don't want to pray because I'm terrified. He brought it to the Lord, and the Lord took that joy away. And he's up there just before he prays, and he comes to me and says, I'm afraid of death. And I prayed today, and God took my fear away. And I'm not afraid right now, so I'm going to pray. And, and I was like, hey, that is, that's a big boy testimony. <laughs> that is 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 because fear keeps us from fulfilling what God has in us. And we were just so grateful to see these young kids and the 11-year-old children. The 11-year-olds are like, watch out for these guys. These guys are, are kicking your butt. And um, we, we challenged these kids. And I said, I'm going to be challenging, but I don't want you to pray. So I wasn't going to give things to come and kill the plan. We, we said, here's, here's some books you got to read, or here's some challenges you got to do. Like, you got to pray 21 days with your siblings or with your parents, and you got to journal or have devotions, or you got to read this book. You got to, you got to do something. Start an online Bible course, start an online Bible study, start an online prayer group, do something like teach, teach children's church after school. And we challenged these kids to something, and uh, this one kid named Braden, he, he read the book Blitzkill. I don't know if you ever read the book Blitzkill, but it's about a 19-year-old who gets kidnapped by Indians and he gets taken to live in a hidden Indian tribe in, I think, Ecuador. And he goes through all these hardships to teach the gospel. And Reagan, I'm like, to get a card, you got to write a book report. That was the book I passed to him. And I said, and I said I now have a, a strong passion for those who do not know who God is. And if this man can endure hardships to share the gospel, I can say it was easy. <coughs> Amen, Reagan. Bless you. And, and the testimony of what God was doing through these kids was very, very powerful. And you know, if you give a kid a video game, 
got like 60 levels to it, and they'll fight that level until they get to the next level, and they'll challenge, die, reset, challenge, die, reset, and they'll just go until they get to the next level, and and they will rise to the challenge and get to the next level. And it's almost like video games challenge kids more than the church. The church doesn't challenge kids to step up and play, step up and teach, step up. It's just like, let's give you Noah in the Ark story again, but let's not challenge you. Kids rise and challenge. They rise to the challenge. Every time they play a video game, they're like, I'm going to go to the next level, the next level, the next level. But in the church, we're like, Stay there, sit there, be good. We'll have donuts after. And it's like, that's not where we want to take the kids. The kids are a potential. The kids are a force to be reckoned with if we're playing and we fail. We were so excited. And after out of that event came a Boston event of that day. So we have a, a Boston event coming up in June. And so how can we challenge these kids to not just think, yes, they're a kid. And we want you to be a kid. We want you to be a kid knows how to do stuff, knows how to get things off of people. And and they'll rise to that challenge if we'll, I don't want to say this in the wrong way, if we'll put it on them, if we'll allow them to be challenged by us and say, we want to challenge you, but you shall not die. And then in May, we have a, uh, an It's My People event, kind of a one-of-a-kind event, but we're coming up in Waterville, Maine, and this is kind of like the elephant in the closet event where we talk about um, racism and about prayerlessness in church, about pornography, about uh, homosexuality and getting involved in government. And this is all going to be story and mushy, but it, it's, it's going to be something to challenge the church in an area that a lot of times we don't know things in a church uh, for various reasons. And so um, you can help me get the word out, here's the church card in the back, and basically we just, we want people to come, and uh, God has given us a team that is all uh, prepared in those areas, and it's like, gosh, you know, we're just really going to be pushed, and the gig will be four conferences, and then at night, a, a time of prayer for the region, for Maine, which we believe is ready and right for God, and we just spend time with Maine. We love Maine. We fell in love with Maine. I never knew anything above Agunkwa till last year. And then there we got to know the whole panorama. I was just in Presque Isle a couple weeks, a month ago, and I was like, wow, Maine's big, and Maine's got a lot of, it's, it's, it's beautiful. And so we want to stand with Maine and be with Maine and, and, uh, Pray God's glory in Maine. And why not? Why can't he use you? What would keep God from putting you through that? Amen? Let me see if I can tie all that God is doing and not do someone who brings the full thing in a different way. But really, this is something for me. Um, sometimes we can become so routine-driven that we lose sight of, of the fresh blood is walking with the Lord. It's like if you have a loaf of bread fresh and hot off the oven, but after the day, after a day, it begins to get a little bit hard, a little bit crusty, and you probably could still eat it, and then after a few days, you can't eat it anymore. You've got to toast it, and you can eat it as toast. 
it's still that same bed, but it's like it got hard just being in the air, just just bare earth. And uh, I just want to share something the Lord really was moving on my heart about, and I, I've had I've had some big breakthroughs this year in in the in and in my personal life just because. I was I I know that I was I kind of took on this attitude it was a wrong attitude but I uh, Goliath conquered a lot of things in his life and he got away with taunting God and not God and and a lot of the warriors did that and uh, I began to have this attitude that said if if God's warriors don't want to step up I do in the mighty but without realizing it it was already coming my way and and it was it was hitting me a lot harder than I thought and I boy that's kind of I got to be careful about that because if if I just think I'm Mr. Invincible and I can just like come and and I'm going to get I'm going to be the guy to beat up and so there had been there had been like that loaf of bread left in the air a little bit of hardness or crustiness setting in and it's not where the Lord wants us Lord doesn't want us to be okay with that. Even though the bread might not be bad, and you might still be able to use it, nothing like a hot loaf. <laughs> There's nothing like a hot loaf. And in Mexico, we used to have bakeries that baked bread every night. And I'm like, man, I, I smell a loaf of bread coming out of the bakery. And they didn't have to advertise. The aroma of that did it itself. And you kind of went and said, Fill that please, fill the basket up, fill the bag up, and and then you had it and, and and that's what the Lord wants from us. He wants the aroma of that freshness to go forth where we're we're it's selling itself. We're not convincing anybody, it's selling itself and like, man, I really like that a lot. So I just want to share where the Lord has taken me in the past few days and and hopefully it can tie all this in and hopefully it will bless you as well. But in Titus chapter 2, and I'm not going to use the overheads, and I'm not going to stick with this a whole lot, but uh, there's just a few verses here that I want to share, but in Titus chapter 2, verse 12, it says, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, and so all men basically are without excuse, and no man can say, well, that's him, look at how he loves God, but that's not me, he's favored, I'm not, that's not what this verse is saying, this verse is saying, every man has been given the grace of God and can do with that measure whatever they want. You can go deep with it, you can go far, you can go wide, or you can you can forfeit it. But it's been given to all men, all young, old, this country, other countries, it's been given. And um, in doing so, we are presented with a choice. And that choice is, what do I do with the grace of God given to me? So this might feel like it's going zigzagging for a few minutes, but like I said, I try to bring it all in. And here's a verse that God really hit home with me in my life. In John chapter 1, verse 14, it says this, The word of God became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And as... As I was um, meditating on that verse not too long ago, 
it, it struck me that even though this verse is talking about Jesus becoming flesh, it's talking also about the Word of God. And the Word of God needs to become flesh to me. Not fleshly, but flesh. Meaning something I can seize my hands into, something I can grab a hold of, something I can I can touch, I can grab a hold of, even though I don't see it with these eyes, I can still grab a hold of it. Because it says faith is the substance, and, and, and when it's alive and the word comes alive in you, you all of a sudden can grab a hold of it. And I'm like, Lord, I need the word to become flesh in my life, not just something I know about back here, not just a, a, um, a concept, but a life flesh in me that because flesh has life and it even says here it has it dwells among you when the word dwells among you there's a certain glory you can behold in it and that glory comes full of grace and truth so when I see words for example John 14 12 this would be a great verse to become flesh to the church John 14 12 not only these things will you do, but greater things than these. Because I go to the Father. So the because happens. I went back. Jesus went to the Father. He says, you're not only going to do these things, but you're going to do greater things. And I'm reading that. I'm like, Lord, that's got to be a, a word become flesh in my heart. Not a concept. Not a, not a positive confession when I need something, but that has to be flesh. That has to be alive in my life where the word becomes flesh. And I believe and I live and I behold the glory of the greater things that God wants to do in and through you and I because that word is not a concept that we've been told or a verse we read, but a life of flesh we can behold and see the glory of that. Does that make sense? So there's certain, there's, there's all verses that need to stop being a verse and life. They've got to be flesh to me. They need to be alive. They need to be what I'm seeing, what I'm touching, what I'm beholding, what I'm seeing the glory of. Can you imagine the glory of John 14, 12? Seeing the glory of greater things than these. For most of us, it's a concept. For most of us, it's a off over yonder, working to that verse, scripture, that's not flesh to me. It's got to become flesh. And, and by allowing it to fester in my heart and get into my life and become flesh, it's I'm going to behold the glory of that. Amen? And I want to behold the glory of the scripture. I don't want the, the scripture to just be a manual or a verse make sense? So I was, and, and let me just say this here, 1 Timothy 2.16, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. I've read this verse a million times, and I'm like, that's an old song, I don't know what that's about. But it's like, God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed in the world, received up in glory. Manifested in the flesh, it will defend you in the spirit. Angels will testify of it. The Gentiles will see the glory of it and come to the Lord. 
and it will be used because you live it, and, and it will bring about a reward when you come. And so that's the thing. And it's like without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. And he's talking about godliness, and it's like, here's the mystery of godliness. Who is godly? Jesus. God manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit. But it's, it's God not being, not being knowledge that, oh, yeah, I know Jesus died for my sins. things. It's not, it's a, a thin line to information to Christ. You're saying the same thing, but to one person, it's information and concept, and to another, it's flesh and life, and it brings glory. And we can say, but both things say the same thing. One is not feeding you, and another is being from you. Does that make sense what I'm saying? So as I was reading yesterday, and I just happened to read Psalm 30, and I was just so blessed. I was like, man, what about this? And I'm just reading it as if I'm reading it for the first time, but it's, it's becoming life. And I go, wow, this life is transforming me to see things according to a new light as opposed to the same concept when you read the Bible, you read it and go, wow, that was good. And, and you know, I learned a secret years ago. Read the Word of God one word at a time. <laughs> I know you're like, duh, but one word at a time, just the Word in you in a deeper way. I know we read one word at a time, but a lot of times those words go together and we get concepts and we forget others. So, when I read the Bible, and this Bible here is the best Bible in the whole world. It is. It's hardbound book here. This is stuff that's the best Torah I've ever read in my life. And I lost my original copy one day. I, I lost my Bible. And they don't even make this anymore. I had to go on eBay and find it. I'm like, oh, my God. I, the, the only Bible I never want to read is that. Had so many great notes, and I'm like, where's my Bible? But I found it. And and every time I read it, I'm like, this is hardbound. This is perfect. So in Psalm 30, and I I like to read the introductions to the Psalms as well. But Psalm 30 says this: gratitude for divine rescue, a song of dedication, song for the dedication of the temple. And I'm like, oh, that's that's the introduction to the Psalms. That's not even what was written. It's just like, here's an explanation of what that is. And, and as I'm reading it, gratitude, I'm going to give you a definition of gratitude. And your, your Bible might not say, it might say thanksgiving for rescue. Or it might say nothing at all. And this Bible says gratitude for divine rescue. And here's the definition of gratitude. You're keenly aware of the good in life. I'll do it in Farsi. And David is keenly aware of the good God has done in his life, and he's expressing it. And that gratitude, a lot of times we just think gratitude is thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. But it's really recognizing God did it in my life. God did something. God switched things. 
And, and it says gratitude shall rest you, shall rest your mind. And then, interestingly enough, and as I read this, I'm like, this kind of makes sense because it says a song for dedication of the temple. And if you read the psalm through, and we will in a minute, it's not talking about anything regarding a building, nothing regarding a ceremony, nothing regarding anything except the heart issue of David. And it's called a song for dedicating the temple. And you and I know that we're the temple of the Holy Ghost. And so it's about this temple. Interesting that David would write a psalm about dedicating the temple, and he didn't even have a temple in his day. He didn't build the temple. He didn't need to dedicate what was already had been dedicated, and yet he wrote the song, and he said, this is what you do to dedicate the temple, to dedicate your life to the Lord, to dedicate what you're seeing in the Lord. And it says, Psalms 30, and if you have your Bible, and you can go there, says this, verse 30, I will extol thee. And to dedicate the temple starts off with a big, I will. Says, I'm gonna. I, I'm not gonna if if everything's favorable, if the worship's nice, if the guitar's in tune, if we got drums today, you know, sometimes you don't have drums and it's kind of flat. He's saying it does not matter what is going on. I will extol the Lord. It's not conditional on anybody. You ever hear, you ever hear of, of uh, it's so common nowadays. You know, you meet somebody who was in a church. And you go, hey, I want to invite you to church. And they're like, uh, we don't go to church. And I'm like, so you got bread. And they're like, I was at your church. I didn't do anything with it. But pastor, and pastor, you have to live the most perfect life of any human being on the face of the earth. And God forbid they ever say anything that would come out sideways in front of anybody because the grace for the pastors is non-existent. And so here we got, here we got the burned Christian, the person who went to church and, and I didn't like it. And, uh, and so I want you to think about this. Let's just suppose that Tom and Joseph they were good relationships. They were in communication all the day, and and we're calling each other. It's not just one person doing all the calling, but it, but it's calling each other. And then, then one day, all that stopped. And uh, Tom, how come you weren't calling anymore? Joe, tradition, you know. Yeah. Uh, how come you don't call me? Because. What did I do to you? You didn't do anything. It's him. So why are you mad at me? Because of him. What did he do to me? Nothing. It's him and me. Okay. I think. It's like taking out on God what somebody does to you can justify you saying, I will expect to find perfect people here? <laughs> Do you really expect to come in here and think everybody was perfect and nobody was struggling with anything and nobody 
has anything they're praying to or believing God for or, or really in a fight for. I mean, if you're looking for that here, probably ought to look at the other place down the street because they probably have all perfect people. But here, you might not find them all, right? Huh? <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> see? <laughs> Let's see. But basically, we so much take out on God and, and get offended with God over somebody who we cannot forgive, right? God. And 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 this man is saying, I it doesn't matter what they do, or they do, or God, or that, or the next person after it. I will, because I'm not here because they're here, and I'm not here because they're nice to me. I'm here for the Lord. Amen? I will extol the Lord, and extol is like, you know, jumping, leaping, making a fool out of yourself, you know, doing all that. We used to have this song in Mexico. I don't know if you had it in Haiti, it was called Remolinando, and Remolinando means, it's the word for rejoice, and the word for rejoice is jump up and down and twirl about like a crazed person, pando, pandereta, I'm paraphrased, but that's the idea, and we, we had this line in our house, and we would like sing a song, and he would start over there, and he would end up over here, and in the midst of getting from there to there, he would just twirl about like a crazy man in the front. And and it was just like, wow, everybody would get excited during that, during that time. But he will, he did not ask me at the occasion of Passover, I will worship the Lord. I will extol the Lord. I will give glory to God. And then if you have your Bible open, it says, because you lifted me and you haven't let my enemies rejoice over me. Oh, Lord, my God, I cried to you and you have healed me. You have brought my soul up from Sheol, which is hell, and you have revived me from among those who go down to the grave. So if you think about that for a moment here, he's saying you lifted me which is deliverance. He was lifted up out of a current situation. He didn't let his enemies rejoice over him. He gave you the victory. He healed you. Amen. He brought you up from the grave. He saved you. That sounds like a God paying attention to you. But that is also the God paying attention to the man who says, will extol the Lord. I will go early. I will pray. I'll stay long. I'll look hard, etc. It's a man who says, it doesn't matter when, when, that, this, what I got, what I don't have, whatever. I will extol the Lord. You think about it. And, and here's that, that dedication of the temple. What's it doing? It's remembering you've delivered me. And you may still be in process of it, right? He he saved me from my enemies. He healed me. And you may be in a process of being healed from You know what? God will heal you. God is a healing God. Healing is in the covenant. How come you didn't hear me? I know. But 
doesn't know about it yet. He must have an even real world perspective. Then in, in verse 5, it says, verse 4, and your verse may read it differently. It says, sing praise to the Lord, you his saints, to you, and praise his sacred memory which is basically you remembering how God has dealt with you and how, and how this guy has dealt with me and how God has dealt with me. Because God will always let me down. In fact, I will always let him down. It's not about if he does or does not let me down. I remember the sacred memory of how has God has dealt with me and he has dealt kindly with me. You know, one of the most amazing things of following God for 40 years is the fact that I have given him a lot of reasons to go like this. Lord, today's the day. <laughs> you're out. You're done. I don't need you anymore. But I've, I've given him so many reasons and opportunities to do that. He's never taken it because he doesn't deal with me that way. I think he should, but he doesn't. He doesn't. One day I was in Mexico, and this guy got saved, and God was moving mightily through him. God had delivered him from drinking, and one day he had a heart attack. He came to the church, and he's like, I, I'm so sorry for sinning against God, and here's what I want you to do to me. I'm going to come in, and I'm going to get on my knees because he's going to kick me and beat me up and pound on me and just let me know how much of a stinking worm I am and good for nothing. I said, okay, God, you've got to do it. He said, you've got to do it. I ain't going to learn any other way. You've got to humiliate me. You've got to make me feel bad. I need to feel pain. I said, God, I don't want to feel pain. I want to feel the love of God. We want He did repent, and he did end up getting on the straight and narrow one more time. But, boy, sometimes we think God should just leave us because we just have let him down too many times. And God really is in love now. And with the love he has loved us, then he's like, you know what? He's not looking to snuff and to, and to smite. He's not the snip, snipe, smite God. He's the, he's the let's build this wall so we remember the sacred memory. He dealt kindly with me. He, he worked with me. And, in, in, and let me just say this. In regards to the work of Grogu, resurrecting in life, that's us not remembering that memory and killing the thoughts that led him not to resurrect anymore. Does that make sense? He didn't get resurrected when we stopped saying, I want you to kick me and slap me and bam and bam. And we say, Lord, yeah, I can do that. I believe God has done that. We're not making light of our sin. We're not, we're not trying to whitewash it, but we are not trying to stay in muck and mire for the rest of our lives. Amen? God ran to the prodigal son, and that guy had been feeding pigs. You think he smelled nice? And it says the father ran, and he didn't say, <laughs> Son, here's what we're going to do. You get ready to get cute and take a bath first, and then I'm going to kiss you. I'm going to put that ring. He did it when he was stinky. And if you've ever been around pig swill, it is. It's gross. It's gross. Up here, it's kind of sanitized, but it's, it's not the best thing. 
Third world country took first place for quite a minute. And, and you're proud of that, the holder of that trophy. You say, I am, I'm going to see next. Verse 6 says, when I was prosperous, I said, nothing can stop me now. Your favor, O Lord, made me as secure as a mountain. Then you turned away from me, and I was lost. So here's David understanding, God is my source, not my wealth, not my riches, not my job, not this, not that. But he depended on his riches or the prosperity that God had given him. And incidentally, these same people did and said the same thing. Solomon, Nebuchadnezzar, Peter, Job, Jonah, and more. You know, they're talking just about God, about God. But really what they were saying is, I don't need God. I don't need to lean on God because I'm all set. But we're all set when we do lean on God, and that means we don't need to lean on God anymore. But leaning on God, listen, here's what I've learned. You come to the altar, uh, unsaved, miserable mess. You get up forgiven, and that's all. The next day, you must come to God. The next day, you must come to God. You must come to God. You must come to God. You must lean on God. You don't ever get up and say, I'm good. I got this. I can. I don't need to rely on God anymore. When you get there, you will be shattered. And that's what David is saying. No, if there's one thing I've learned, and this is what he's dedicating to the temple, he's like, you're going to have a vessel that doesn't depend on anything you have given him, but that depends on you more than what you've given him. And God can give us a lot. And there's nothing wrong with having a lot. The problem is when I depend on the lot more than the one who gave me that. Does that make sense? So we depend on God. We lean on God. And if we ever get away from not needing to lean on God, we will shatter. Till we find out, like Nebuchadnezzar, he's on his roof like, I did a good job. Boom, seven years thrown in a hill like heaven. Because he was proud of himself. I was lost. I did a good job. God is my source. God blessed me. You stop leaning on me. You stop reckoning on me. Verse 11 says this. You turned my lamenting. says that God turned that lamenting into a processional, and a processional is simply a parade, and parades are usually loud, it's public, and it's visible. And and God, God will take you from your crying alone in the dark to public display in your life. Sometimes you see a, a, a parade going down this street, and you start to in your heart, and you say, where's God? Where's God in this detail of this verse, in this Bible, in this version? Yours might say it a different way, but verse 5 says, his anger stays but a moment, but his favor is forever. 
His favor is great. His favor causes me to live. The favor of God on my life causes me to live. Causes me to see a God who loves me and who is for me. And then the objectives of the whole psalm, verse 12 says, so that he he will turn your lamenting into a procession. He'll, he'll swap off your sadness for a hope, for a joy, for a blessed life, all so that my soul will sing praises to thee and not be silent. You know, God's life vocal prayer, God-like vocal prayer. God's not afraid of noise. <laughs> I saw that this last week. God's not afraid of noise. He's not afraid of loud noise. It's not like, whoa, whoa. God's not some old guy who doesn't like the new style of music. to the how great thou art song. He's not that way. He's not afraid of noise. He doesn't want you to be silent. And then the goal of the temple. Goal of the temple. Oh Lord my God, I will praise you forever. That's the goal of the temple. Starting starting in this life. Not when I die, I'm gonna praise you. We're just gonna praise you. No, the goal is today. The goal the goal is now. The dedication of the temple is so that I will always praise the Lord. Let me tell you, if you do that, you're not going to be stale bread. You're not going to be the moldy bread. You're not going to be the bread that's a, just a little hard on the crust but spongy on the inside. He, he can make you a um, – he can make you. He, his goal for you as a temple, you dedicate yourself as a temple that you will always and I just want to share this last verse with you in Jonah chapter 2. So Jonah is one of those guys who needed to have a reaction as well. And in Jonah 2 verse 7 says this. If my life were slipping away, I remembered the Lord. So we all know Jonah was swallowed by a whale or a fish or whatever. And he was stuck in the stomach of a whale. And his life was slipping away, and he remembered the Lord. He said, my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple, and it was hard. He got a smart wife. Verse 8, those who worship false gods, false incense, lying imaginations, political parties, etc., turn their backs on all God's messengers. But I, and that's where Jonah had been. Jonah had been in a funk where he was like, I don't like being a Vikings fan. And as a result of that attitude, he was turning his back on God's message. And the fact that he was in the whale of a, the stomach of a whale says, no, I'm not so sure what that is anymore. I'm not sure if he's in this place. And, and, and Jonah had to come to grips with himself where he said, when we got carjacked, my dad and I, and we got carjacked, taken to a, a sugar cane field way out in Kalkuk, and I'm, I'm, I'm rambling in my mind like a, I'm going to leave behind with no money. His name's going to be 
great things because you got three of your kids and you can stop and look at each other. And um, you know, it's great to have my parents and family come to pick me and tell me when to open my mouth and tell my parents, oh, no, don't do this, that, no, 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 no. You know, in the middle, all the way down the middle. Maybe a good choice, but the car is there. And and you wipe your mud in the face and that door opens and you walk inside. And you walk in. And I was just like Jonah. Belly up, that was my belly up the whale moment where I'm like, I do not want anymore to care about bread. was worried about because there was a shift that said, I'm not going to focus on what I may do. I'm going to focus on the Father. That was a hiccup in the road for me. It's, it's the painful end of baptism. God stirred it up, but what it took was a shift in my heart that said, I'm not going to worry about bread anymore. I'm not even going to worry about Judean anymore, and I know that's a wrong and a bad thing to say, but I am going to worry about now in the in the midst of this I see Christ and he will fill us up with joy. See, you might be in that situation right now. You might be forfeiting the grace God extends to you because of a political affiliation or party or because the news or because situations going on or maybe you were part of the church and it burns you and it just burns you to think about the burning. But I just want to let you know that there, you, you could be forfeiting grace, meaning that they could harbor you if you were really going in that direction. I had a gun to my head. My kids had guns to their heads, face down in the muck, sugarcane field in Guatemala, left penniless. God said, look, look here. I will offer sacrifices to you, the sons of the fellows. You can kill all my dogs. I'll skin it and make dogs out of it. It's pretty awesome. It's pretty tight in here. You know, it isn't like Pinocchio where he's got a fire going and he's got a nice cabin over here and it wouldn't work. feel like there's a way out, but I will offer a sacrifice, and I'm going to fulfill my vow. And do you know an interesting thing happened? That trip proved that in the wheelchair, he actually proved that that trip, preached that guy right on time. And uh, that was it. His situation changed as soon as he said, this is where I'm at. I need to get out. I need to do something. And when he did, his situation changed immediately. Now, some of you, if you had to walk out of practice because you have some deep issues, then that might be you as well. But God will 
willing to walk with God. And God was willing to, God is willing to walk with you. We don't want to forfeit what God has already done. There's a million people or more that offered the grace. You are being offered a takeaway meal. A takeaway meal. It's for now. We're in the present. And 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 I said to the church, why aren't you using COVID-19 as a platform? You can you can win anybody to COVID-19. Well, we might not have to test it out for many days. So we went down to the park and and um I really wanted to give Bryce Hartwell a takeaway later we're praying for him. <laughs> he accepted the grace that was extended to him. He, he felt the grace that was extended to him because he was hurting. Don't resist God because he's trying to help you. He's your friend. You can, I will work with you. Don't forfeit the grace extended to you by believing a lie that God's not interested in you, that God doesn't have anything to do with you. God is not interested in you. It's just a lie that you believe. It's offended his name. Okay? How do we stand to our feet and just pray for that? And there's nothing to be ashamed of that says, I need the grace that God is extending me to you. That's not a shameful thing. It's actually a shameful thing to need it and And do you know why God offers us mercies every day? Because even though we've walked with God for so long and we know him, we need it. We need that mercy. In fact, that's how common we can be is we need him. But God has extended the mercy to us day after day. Like that song says, you may be weeping in the night, in the dark time, you may be weeping, but I will come in the morning, the first light of day, when the dawn breaks, when, when you reconnect with God, Joy will come. You might be in the dark of night where it's l- lamenting and dark. And, and it, in that version, it says, weeping may lodge with you for the night. But I'm going to put that thing out. So now I'm not going not to allow this lamenting, this negative, this pessimistic to lodge with me. I'm going to kick it out and joy is going to come. And my morning can come earlier than normal. So, Father God, we come before you and and maybe we need, Lord God, to realign ourselves to say, I want, I want, Father God, that mercy, that joy to re, to, to come again, Lord. I don't want to forfeit the grace given to me. 
Lord, I want it to become life in my life. I want it to bring life. I want to see the glory of the grace that you have for me. And I don't want to forfeit it by being hard-hearted or by being negligent. But I want, Father, the life of God to come alive again in me. And right where you are, you're just connecting with the Lord and saying, Lord, I need, I want that life, that grace that is for me. And I just want to say, years in the Lord or office that we hold in the Lord does not exempt us from needing or or using or receiving the grace that God has for us. God doesn't say you're a pastor now, so therefore you don't need my grace anymore. Let me tell you, if there's one office that needs a lot of grace, it's clothes. The fivefold needs more grace than everybody. And we come before you, Lord, and we say, Father, we want to take advantage of that grace, to receive the grace that you have for us, the mercies that you have for us. We don't want to stay down anymore. If you're down, today's the day to get up. Don't walk out the door the way you walked in. Don't walk out the same. Walk out with the mercy of the Lord arm in arm with you. Walk out with the grace and mercy of the Lord on your side. God wants it, and the devil does not want it. The devil doesn't want you to draw near and receive from the mercy. He's like, no, no, don't do that. Don't do that. But who cares what he thinks? Who cares what he says? Who cares what he thinks? We want what the Lord wants. And the Lord says, I'm extending this to you today. Don't forfeit it. Don't turn your back on it. Receive that grace. You will see resurrection. You will see that life abound when you do. Lord, we come before you. And we just ask in Jesus' name for that life, resurrection, that turnaround in our lives. Father, we don't want to be questions. We don't want to be moldy. We don't want to be the appearance of, but not. Father, we want to be genuine, sincere, honest, and open with you. We want your mercy and your grace. 